Hi, this is EA. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. We're talking about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay. So, how's it going, Norm? Wow. Beautiful Friday. Happy post-Father's Day. Oh, my goodness. Yes, Father's Day was amazing. It's just to be appreciated. You know, it's better if you're appreciated by the object of your fatherdom, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I do what I can do to be a part of his life. And if he recognizes that his dad and his mom are, are important influences in his life, then that's great. I'll be a secret influence. I'm okay. I can handle it. And, yeah, and I'm sure that'll, um, you know, we talked about this last week. He'll see your presence, you know, or, or he'll mm-hmm. use you more and more and more. Right. As life goes on. And he does. Um, this week, wow. Um, so I finished up the Each One Reach One last week. Mm-hmm. Um, that was fun. Um, the kids did great? The kids were fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their job is done. Like we did the show last Friday. Um, their job is done Friday night. We had to go back and tag on an ending to our show, which I thought worked really well. The surprise was I ended up having to step in as an actor. Oh, um, okay. So that was a bit of a surprise. Um, and it's just a read-through, but, um, it, you know, they are impressed. W- and when we do this, so the per- performance day is when anybody on their guest list is supposedly allowed to come in. <coughs> um, mm-hmm. If things have been managed well with staff, then they will bring the rest of the kids on the unit in. And since they're gender se- segregated by gender, mm-hmm. boys, girls, whatever, yeah. um, whatever the young writers are, their peers get to come in and see it. And that's been not just a huge recruiting tool for us, but you can just see the impact on it. Um, their parents often come or you know, close friends, siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually staff has a few more people. And usually we bring a few more people. None of that happened. So there were, I think, two parents. Hmm. Um, staff was just the regular staff folks. Maybe there was one extra person. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have very many guests with us. Um, nonetheless, mm-hmm. it still means that there's, with all of us, yeah. all those numbers mm-hmm. added together, we're, if you throw the actors into the count, because yeah. they haven't seen the actors until that day. Right. Um, you know, there's a couple dozen folks staring at them mm-hmm. as we read their play. Mm-hmm. So the way the plays are performed is it's a sit-down read. The two actors mm-hmm. sit in two middle chairs. Mm-hmm. One side of them is the mentor who has helped the young writer, and the other side is the young writer. Mm-hmm. And the joy for <coughs> us is to sit and watch the young writer mm-hmm. as they respond mm-hmm. to hearing their work read and hearing an audience react to their work being read. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a joy this time. You could just see them light up. Oh, fantastic. Um, so, yeah, that was that ended up being very cool. Does it ever get negative? I mean, do they ever, like, I don't know, like I was talking to um, um, Scott Munson and whatever, mm-hmm. do they ever, um, like, no, you're reading it wrong, or you're doing this way or that? We tell them. So we have one rehearsal, and we tell them they're the director. Mm-hmm. Well, some of them totally take charge that way. Some of them get very shy, mm. and so the mentor is there as, as a sort of assistant to mm-hmm. help with that. We totally encourage them to give line readings if necessary. Tell us the way you want it to sound. Mm-hmm. And what happens, unfortunately, is a lot of times there are more white actors available for mm. the program than mm. anything else. Mm. Well, if we've got you know young men, African-American men, we would like to reflect 
have their characters reflect who they are, young Asians, young <coughs> Latinos. Mm -hmm. And this was a lot of Latinos. And we had some – we had a diversity of actors, but not – we had a couple of Latinos maybe. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up stepping in because sometimes just putting a white guy in one of these roles is just the wrong thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Now, if it's some hip youngster who's just totally down with mm -hmm. whatever it is now, mm -hmm. that's great. But if it's somebody who gets on there and just sounds too vanilla, yeah, it doesn't work. So yeah. I, I ended up jumping in. Um, so that happened. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a pretty peaceful week. Enjoyed having summer, you know. Yeah. Have it become summer. Yeah. And been getting into a cycle of sleeping in a little bit most days this week. Um, that's been exciting. Awesome. And, and then I have a surprise that I'll – Probably have to save until the next time we record, but yeah. um, let's just say I, I'm, I'm a happy man. Deservedly so. Um, so I uh, this week I um, well I wish my dad a happy uh, Father's Day, and he was very very amused at uh, this podcasting thing. It, it's funny oh, when good. I talk to people about podcasting. Sometimes I have to educate them. It's like, okay, so how do you do it? And mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, you have a phone, right? Okay, so let's – and if it's Android, it's a little tougher because I have to tell them, okay, download the SoundCloud app and right. this and that or whatever. And um, if they're appreciative, they'll they'll go ahead and do it. Um, but educating my dad on the whole podcasting, he was very um, – and we talked about technology and how technology has changed. He used to do a lot of radio mm -hmm. when he uh, was a singer in the uh, 70s and 80s. And so um, – and he was like, wow, you know, and, you know, technology and all of that stuff. And Dad's doing great. He's 70. He's still uh, performing mm -hmm. and doing wonderful things. And we talk about how art has really enriched us, where mm -hmm. it just keeps us young, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wh which is a wonderful thing. Uh, so that was fantastic. And uh, as promised, I launched uh, I'm an American, too. So Yay! that's going on. Yeah. And a uh, good friend, Wendy Yang from China, um, talked about her experiences uh, being an American, and uh, it's it's an interesting thing meeting all of these different people, like the interviews that we've had and even you and I talking. Mm -hmm. We never know what we're going to talk about. It's, right. it's very, very spontaneous, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to say therapeutic, but you never know what people are going to say. Right. What's going to what's It's, gonna it's been amazing. Um, you know, we're in it, so mm -hmm. maybe we hear it differently than other people do, but I listen to the podcast, and I'm like, wow, that was a lot more thoughtful and – um, kind of opening up instead of you and I just saying the same thing. You say something, I respond. Um, we get to kind of color these topics from a couple of different angles, perspectives, mm -hmm. and um, it just. And when we have a guest, yeah, it totally goes off in directions that we <laughs> never would have anticipated, but right. they seem useful, fruitful, worth people's time. So I hope. I hope listeners feel that way. Yeah, yeah. People were listening. I earlier I had um, Gene Mossy and uh, his wife uh, Christine Oren on, and they talked about they listened to the podcast. As a matter of fact, Christine was talking about uh, being a producer because she's also she's a writer. Uh, she wrote Lady Susan. She, she her specialty is writing period pieces or adaptations of period pieces, like Jane Austen, mm -hmm. and interpreting it. Um, in her own way, mm -hmm. and it's an incredible talent. And she talked about – we had talked about equity and sure. hiring equity actors, and she had talked about it from the perspective of a producer, basically saying, hey, listen, it's really, really expensive. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, well, you know, sometimes quality means an awful lot. Right. So, uh, you know, sometimes you get what you pay for. And um, 
I think they, they both lamented that being an equity actor is a lot easier if you're in L.A. or New York than it is here in the Bay Area. Do you agree with that? It's – well, I mean, I can't compare because I don't know what the, yeah. what the lives are. I know the stories that you hear about New York, and I'm like, yeah, I don't really need to be someplace where I have to have two or three jobs and find time to run around and try and have a career while I live in a closet where my roommates are cockroaches. Yeah, <coughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, those sound like stereotypes, but every year more people move there and they say, oh, yeah, no, this stuff is real. And I'm like, yeah, I don't need that. So I can't compare it to that. Um, that is one of the teaser I can put out, though, is that's one of the issues with this, my surprise, is um, will the producer be able to get an equity contract? Mm-hmm. And the fun thing for me as an actor is, okay, so yes, I auditioned for a role and I would like to ca- be cast in that mm-hmm. role. That would be great. Um, if you offer me the role mm-hmm. and then you come back and you say you can't get the contract, that is, of course, massively disappointing. Mm-hmm. But I have to remind myself, it means I was the number one pick for this part. And then they figured out they couldn't do it. It still means I'm good enough to do mm-hmm. this part. I got to remember that when those, because those incidents happen to, I think, every union actor. Yeah. Somebody, I mean, I got cast in a show once because God of Carnage. I got cast because it wasn't clear that they were looking for non union. And the person who recommended me, it never came up in conversation. I assumed she knew. She assumed that I wasn't or that I would tell her if I was. Mm-hmm. And so I got cast before it came out that I was a union actor and mm-hmm. they had to scramble. Which is odd to me because wouldn't you you tell them, I mean, if someone calls you for an audition, isn't it on your resume? I mean, don't they know right off the get-go, listen, this is an equity actor? Well, this was a referral, so they didn't see a resume. Oh, okay. They just called me in. I did bring a resume in and it is on my resume. The only thing bigger on my resume is my name. Mm-hmm. You know, the next biggest thing is AEA. I want to make sure it's clear mm-hmm. that I'm an equity actor. Yeah. But somehow it, you know, it slipped through the gaps and I got in. Yeah. And that was wonderful and I was happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that feeling of going out and doing all these auditions and doing your best and really preparing and really trying to understand not just what you think the role is, but what you think they might want, what they might be aiming with mm-hmm. when the little company in Pittsburgh and I mean Pittsburgh, California, mm-hmm. decides to do a play, that's different w- than when it's going to get done in downtown San Francisco. Right. It's possibly going to be as edgy, mm-hmm. but it might get crazy edgy in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. <coughs> More likely. So making adjustments to know what, you know, you do all this work and then you still don't know whether or not you were good enough to get the role. So it's a consolation prize, but to know, wow, you would have cast me if you had enough money to deal <coughs> with equity. Okay. Well, that means I'm better than whoever else you saw. Yay. I'll, I'll live with that. In this case, yeah, if the contract comes through, mm-hmm. then I'm in and it'll be good and I'll tell all about it. But if not, yeah, I have to walk away with that sense of, you know, you go into an audition and sometimes you know you did a good job. Right. But you need that outside validation. And there it is. I'm like, that's outside validation. If y'all calling me up to say you want to hire me, but you can't, that's a mm-hmm. really embarrassing conversation. Yeah. You must really want me if you're willing to risk that embarrassing conversation. Now, sometimes do you interpret that phone call as, gee, we really wanted you if you, if, but your equity, 
hey, can you not be equity or can you? No, nobody, no, nobody dare says that. Okay. okay. In I fact, don't know if you had those conversations before. In fact, I, I'm shocked because I know it happens. Mm-hmm. I've heard plenty of stories of it. I've never encountered it. Um, I've encountered people bemoaning the fact that I am equity. Oh, if you weren't equity, blah, 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 blah. I don't feel any pressure. You know, I don't feel like somebody's saying, is there any way you'd be willing to? I think that might have happened when I first turned equity, but pretty quickly, I guess I reached a status where stature where mm-hmm. nobody even asked. And I'm like, wow, it's funny because there's so many times when I'd be willing to entertain the conversation. You know, at the very mm-hmm. least to say, wow, I really want this to happen. What can I do to try and make it happen? Mm-hmm. But no, it, it just doesn't go there. As soon as you say, it's like a shield. As soon as you pull out the fact that you're equity, mm-hmm. that shield goes up and the conversation only goes in appropriate ways. Yep. In my experience, you know, nine out of ten times at least. Yeah. Because I imagine if someone were to try to, I mean, they'll be taking money away from you by trying to lowball you. Yeah. Well, and they can't so much negotiate that, but like Shotgun got in trouble years ago mm-hmm. um, because they had been doing BATS, these agreements where they could pay whatever they wanted to pay as long as the equity actors were paid as much as the highest paid person in the production. Mm-hmm. Um, They've been doing that for years. Suddenly, equity started getting a little hard-nosed about it and said, you've been doing this for too long. You can't keep doing it. Right. We talked about this. And yeah. they changed their contract on them. Mm-hmm. And so they had already cast a show. So they called the people up and called them in to have you know get the process started. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, by the way, we told you it was going to be – we're going to pay you this much. Mm-hmm. And we're still going to pay you that much. Yeah. But we ran into some problems with equity, and you know equity – um, so what we want you to do mm-hmm. is we're going to write you the checks that equity requires us to write you, mm-hmm. and we want you to sign them back over to us. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Yeah, equity heard about that, and that got shut down real quick. And they didn't use equity for a little while there, for maybe a couple of seasons. Mm. And then they kind of worked it out you know, with equity that they wouldn't try to skirt around the rules, and equity said, okay, we'll, we'll try to give you a decent rate. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. But um, yeah, no, people don't don't. I I rarely, you know, I'm. It's frustrating because as a producer, mm-hmm. if I wanted to produce something, even if I was only going to be the only equity performer in it, mm-hmm. I still have to think about how I'm going to navigate that, because I'm not going to try and do it without letting the union know. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I need to do it within whatever budget I've got set. Right. Um, you know, so it, it becomes a tricky balancing act. I figure if I were a producer, I already know what money I have and how much money I'm going to spend. So that will dictate who I bring in to audition almost immediately. And well, it should. Yeah. But there's flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I, You know, maybe I've just been being bad to lighting designers. I hope not. But – what I started doing with lighting designers, and I'm totally confessing this now, um, I would take, I would write a budget up. Mm-hmm. I would figure out how much I wanted to pay my designer. Um, you know, and it depends on the needs of the show. If the show is going to be, you know, four characters that wear one set of clothes the whole time, mm-hmm. your costumer isn't really going to have to do as much work as if it's six actors playing 20 roles. <laughs> Yeah, you know now they're gonna have to jump through hoops, mm-hmm. and they gotta figure out how to, you know, accommodate quick changes and mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, figure out pricing based on that. And then, so I put that in a preliminary budget, and then I call the designer up. Oh, I don't tell them I'm going to pay them $400. I say I've got $300. And if they say, cool, and if they sound like they're not sure about whether or not they can take it, I say, well, you know, I've got and I do put in my budget, like, say, I'm just, you know, making up figures right mm -hmm. now. Let's say I said uh, $200 that I've got in the budget should we need to get some equipment or some stuff. Mm -hmm. And that that $200, and I have said this to designers, that $200 is available to you if you don't use it all. Mm -hmm. Whatever you don't use, I will pay you. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea being, I need you to support my show. Right. So spend that money on my show, but if you can figure out a way to get what we need mm -hmm. and there's some money left over of course you could have it mm -hmm. what i'm not telling them is oh and there's another hundred dollars that i wrote down in my preliminary budget that i'm not talking to you about because this is a negotiation right i don't start at the top of the negotiation right. if you say find the 300 and uh, don't worry about the 200 you'll just spend that money on what you need and you don't think you're going to need that much mm -hmm. well you just saved me a bunch of money on the other hand if you spend 75 dollars and you want the rest of it I'm cool with that because that means in reality I'm just paying you $25 more than I budgeted you for, mm -hmm. and I'm saving money on the uh, cost of the equipment. So right, yeah. I'm, you know, it's funny how those numbers work. So it's the same thing with actors. If you say equity, non-equity, then you're really saying that you need to have the budget to pay those equity actors. Mm -hmm. When you turn around to that non-equity actor and offer him the role for a lot less mm – -hmm. That's why, you know, if anything, this podcast, I hope it encourages people, actors, yeah. to be savvy about that. No, it's time to go back <coughs> and say, hey, I know you have more money in your budget for actors. Mm -hmm. You need to give me a little bit more money. Yeah. And if you're confident with your skill and you know that they have money in the budget for inequity, and usually for, for callbacks and other um, – you know, when I, when I go to an audition, mm -hmm. they'll they'll state. I think they'll state equity, non-equity, or you know, right. it's open for right. for both. Which right. Which will let me know as an actor. Oh, okay. They're they're looking for. I say anytime you see that, anytime mm -hmm. you see a listing that says equity and non-equity, mm -hmm. as a non-equity actor, you need to know that means that if they call you, you need to ask for more money. Yep. Because the reason they're calling you first mm -hmm. is to pay less than they're paying the equity actor. As long as you're getting paid less than the equity actor, you're mm -hmm. still saving them money. So you're not taking any money out of their pocket. Yeah. You're making sure that they're giving you the appropriate amount of money. Yeah, you, it opens the door for a negotiation. And if you know that you killed that, that audition and they really, really want you, you could say, well, you know, that's when the negotiation process starts. Because right. if they say, well, no, not really, I mean, are they going to try to find somebody else if they really, really right. like you? Odds are they're going to – work with you well again let's ballpark it mm -hmm. if it's going to be twelve hundred dollars for that equity actor mm -hmm. and they're offering you five mm -hmm. or even eight mm -hmm. you know eight hundred dollars and you go back to them and you say no i need nine i need a thousand mm -hmm. you're still saving them money yeah um but letting them pay you half of mm -hmm. what they would pay the equity actor who does that benefit i mean yeah it puts more money in their pocket mm -hmm. but it doesn't give you the respect that you deserve. Right. I've heard producers also say, and I've actually had this happen to me once as a tech person, well, we can't pay you over $600 because then I have to do a W-2 uh, or I have to you know, fill right. out a 1099 form. Right. Right. Which I don't care. Right. 
Right, and that's and that's the correct answer to them because you should be reporting all that stuff anyway. Mm -hmm. If you're wanting to be a professional actor, believe me, the, one of my happiest things as a professional actor was after I did a season at Cal Shapes mm -hmm. and the season was over and I didn't have a job and I filled out unemployment paperwork and what did I put under my profession? Actor. Right. I was so <laughs> proud. That's right. I mean, I was freaked out about um, – being unemployed, but uh, but you're always freaked out about being unemployed. That's the nature of the business. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, as an actor, is that you're going to have those down times. Somebody offers you a show in November, mm -hmm. and here we are in June. You might not get another show between now and November. Mm -hmm. If you were on unemployment, you would just keep collecting your unemployment, and then when you start rehearsal, boom, you move on. And that's a completely legitimate use of unemployment. But it's exciting to know as an actor that you got that. That's right. You can actually put that down, mm -hmm. you know, officially. You are an actor at your profession. So, yeah, if they have to give you a 1099 and you get to report to the IRS <laughs> that you got paid as an actor, mm -hmm. you want the IRS to know. You want the federal <laughs> government to know you're an actor. You want it to be in the federal register. Yes, Rich Clay is an actor because here it says in his taxes he That's right. got paid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a thrill when I go to uh, the my bank and, sh you know, give them a check. You know, please deposit it or please cash it. And the teller's like, oh, so what's this for? I was like, well, I did a show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. the tellers always get excited yeah, about that. Yeah, exactly. Now, I, I got to say, there's a lot of um, non-theater stuff for me right now. Mm -hmm. um, so Sunday, we mm -hmm. fly out. We're going to Chicago. I'm going to meet some of the in-laws mm -hmm. and cousins. And uh, my brother-in-law and his family are mm -hmm. coming. And Chicago's wonderful. I remember being I've there in, in uh, 2007. Mm -hmm. It's it's really really beautiful. I'm not going to indulge into it. You you'll mm. find out, but it's really wonderful. Well, it's um, people say, "Have you ever been before?" And I'm like, "Yeah, actually, once I flew into Chicago, got picked up and driven to Indianapolis, <laughs> my hometown." <laughs> yeah, that's the only time I've been to Chicago. So it's mm -hmm. all going to be a new experience. Yeah, and we're going for about a week, and then the weirdest thing is we fly back into SFO, come back to Oakland. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to pack a bag tonight or tomorrow. I have to pack my second bag mm -hmm. so that when we come back, I can just come and grab that bag and go right back to Oakland Airport mm -hmm. and fly out mm. to my uh, 40th year reunion. Oh, that's right. You were telling me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's – and to relate it to theater again, what's exciting is I was working on um, – I've been trying to make sure that my email – it's been one of my – sort of a New Year's resolution mm -hmm. to keep my email signature yeah. current with what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so now it says that I'm leading this uh, playwriting intensive in at the Eugene O'Neill house. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow. The barn, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, on the whole, the whole grounds, we're, mm -hmm. we're going to get to use hopefully a room in the house. There's a second barn. Hopefully we can split up into at least three – Oh, no, and then there's an office. There's a library. Mm -hmm. So the writers will hopefully be in the library. Um, we've got a little bit of outdoor space and these other spaces. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be in charge of all this. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, wait a minute. I'm going, so I'm going to my high school reunion. You always want to go, like, having lost 20 pounds and your hair looking really good. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, you've actually been hitting the gym for the last four months. Oh, you'll, you'll be fine. I, I'm feeling great about all this. But the work side of it, you know, it's just it, I do what I do. But suddenly, my signature is that I'm running. I'm leading a workshop. I'm, you know, I'm. They they don't call it a director. 
but I am facilitating this mm -hmm. whole program. Mm -hmm. um, I'm putting it together. I'm managing other people. I'm like, wow, um, that'll be really great to be yeah. able to talk about at the reunion. And I'm yeah. like, wow. And there will be people who say, wow, you've been doing Phoenix since high school. And I'm like, yeah, actually, <laughs> I, I have. Mm -hmm. And this will be a year where instead of like I didn't have a show, so I came down mm -hmm. to the reunion. It's like, no, actually, when I get back, I, you know, I got a week to put a program together. You mm -hmm. know, the final touches on this program, and then we're doing this thing at Eugene O'Neill's house. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that should be really, really thrilling, and uh, it'll be, yeah, this June. As a matter of fact, this is my 30th anniversary of of, um, of graduating from Duke Johnson School of the Arts. Yay. What wonderful, wonderful memories. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, that should be fun. Take take pictures. Are you gonna Are you gonna go? Well, no, there th there, there's nothing set up. Uh, unfortunately, on my graduating class, I, nothing really was set up. But uh, the class of '88, uh -huh. they invited us. They're like, "Hey, you know, oh, you guys great. can come." And I'm like, "Okay, that's great." And class of '88 is much bigger, and so mm -hmm. all of us were in the same musicals, in the same show. Right, of course. So, so it'll be fine. So I'm looking That's, forward to I'm, that. I, I've been holding the line on because last, you know, five years ago they did a 35th anniversary. And I mm -hmm. was like, no, nah, I'm not coming for that. Going forward, I'll, I'll start hitting the five years. And mm -hmm. I'll start hitting the multi-year mm -hmm. alumni gatherings. Yeah. Why not? Because I do have friends. I have friends that graduated in 76. Mm -hmm. I would love to go to that. I have friends who graduated in 78. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm as interested in that, but maybe. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you start going to your sister's classes, doesn't matter how old you get, your little <laughs> sister is still your little sister. I can't go hang out with her, her people. <laughs> my God. Right. I have Johnny Depp on my mind. <laughs> did, you, did you hear about uh, what happened? Uh, so apparently Johnny Depp, uh, you know, everyone is, everyone is flipping out on Donald Trump, and mm -hmm. people have had all these really adverse reactions. So Donny, Johnny Depp. I think he was in England, and he uh, gave a um, an impromptu speech where he um, contemplates, or he think he thinks, you know, he says, "When is the last time an actor assassinated a president?" Oh, evoking John Wilkes Booth, right, and right, right. of course, I guess he got a call from the Secret Service, and he had to subsequently apologize. I think just a couple of hours ago. Hmm. Um, but people are really, uh, it's, and then we've talked about this beforehand. I understand that people are upset with Trump. Right. But I think people are just really going overboard. I mean, fight you, it's okay to fight evil, but you cannot become evil. You cannot right. in fighting evil become evil yourself. That thing from the Vietnam that bleh, the thing from the Vietnam War, the in order to save the village we had to destroy it. Yeah. It's yeah. like mm, you didn't technically save the village if it's destroyed. It's destroyed. It doesn't matter which side destroyed it. Destroyed is destroyed. Right. If you are evil, you are evil. Right. It doesn't matter what your intentions were. I mean, I love that. Um, I, we know it as actors, but uh, in comic books, comic books used to be so two-dimensional. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, did you see Wonder Woman? Yeah, oh, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, that that was a big thing in that, that Ares, the god of war, who mm -hmm. she has been taught is making humans bad and do bad things, mm -hmm. says to her, I don't make them do bad things. I set up situations where they could make the choice of doing bad things, but they come up with stuff that I didn't even conceive of. They yep. they do it. Yep. They just that's what they are. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's important to 
to keep a sense of morality. I mean, that's you know what I'm actually looking forward to. And I think just like when I was coming out of high school, that was when Jimmy Carter came out. Oh, that's right. And he was a born again Christian. Mm-hmm. And this was after we had gone through the hippie years and the, you know, um, the unwillingness to the questioning of all authority and the you know denigration of any kind of authority figures mm-hmm. um, to a period of find it for yourself. And mm-hmm. that eventually evolved into the <coughs> born again, among other things, the born again fundamentalist movement and the born again movement. Yeah. Um, and these people took an active role in their spiritual lives. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see that kind of thing happen again, not because of the direction it takes, mm-hmm. but the sense that I want to engage you one-on-one directly about your beliefs and my beliefs, not because I'm right and you're wrong, mm-hmm. but because I sincerely want to understand why you do what you do, why you think what you think, why you believe what you believe, mm-hmm. and I want you to hear me out right. in a way that lets me know that you hear me. Then if we don't agree, mm-hmm. hopefully we can still say neighbors. Hopefully we can still live in the same community and manage to get along mm-hmm. because we have some level of understanding where it's like at a certain point you're really – Choosing, you know, belief is that point past knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's that point of faith. Right. So when you're living in faith, part of your faith has to be that humility of mm-hmm. I may not be right. I believe I am, so I'm going to live this yeah. way. But I can't decide I'm right and you're wrong, and therefore I'm going to castigate you. Right. Because you don't agree with me. Exactly. And also recognize the faith of other folks as well mm-hmm. like i have a faith like i'm a christian and i remember talking with scott munson uh last week on va and we very very strangely started talking about uh faith and he is a, he's an agnostic mm-hmm. but he wrote a wonderful piece uh which dealt with christianity mm-hmm. which i found really really fascinating how someone can write about something that they don't either don't believe in or they don't quite, you know, it's not a part of them. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, okay, so we've had eight years of Obama. Right. And prior to that, we had eight years of Bush. Right. I mean, we go through these cycles, these political cycles. Right. Uh, I remember uh, we were talking about graduating. I remember uh, when I was in NYU in 1988 when Dukakis ran. Oh, right. And we all thought – Oh, Dukakis is going to win. You know, right. it's fantastic because I'm surrounded by liberals. Right. And so I'm in this little bubble. Yes. And what a shock. Probably the first political shock of, of my life mm-hmm. when George Herbert Walker Bush won. Right, right. Because, you know, he had a speechwriter, Peggy Noonan, A Thousand Points of Light, and, mm-hmm. and The Kinder, Gentler Nation. Right. And all of this stuff. And, of course, Willie Horton, the Willie Horton ad, oh, which yeah, is yeah, horrible. Yeah. Um, but it, it taught me – Hey, there's a whole world – I mean, not a world, but there's a, there's a vast part of the United States that do not think the way that you do. Right. So I have a faith. I have a belief, and I have a way of looking at the world. But I have to acknowledge, even if I don't agree, that other people think differently than I do. Mm-hmm. And I, I can try to – I can hate it, but hating it's not going to do anything. I have to understand it. And right. Right. Exactly. Well, even if you want to get to that point, if you want to define that there is a evil, that there is that that there are things, situations that qualify for the label evil, mm-hmm. you need to understand those things well enough to label them evil. Right. If you are just out of ignorance saying anything that I don't understand or I can't make sense of is evil. Mm-hmm. 
But then all you're saying is your ignorance is your shield. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what dogma is about? Maybe I'm confusing what dogma. I thought dogma was more that you have a knowledge base and uh-huh. you refuse to let anything else in. Okay. Yeah, no, I think you're right. But it's something close to dogma where basically you believe in your faith and your faith only and right. you won't let anything else in. Right. Because of my faith, nothing else can be true. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess it's related, but it's interesting to be in this period because um, apparently Meryl Streep was up for some show oh, and yeah. got bumped off of it because of her negative comments about the president. Which is crazy. She's, she's considered the greatest act, the greatest actor, uh, actress. Of her generation, of her, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's happening. I mean, you know, Stephen Colbert got dinged and um, – Did he? No, I hadn't heard that one. He had made some sort of a uh, – I didn't hear what the comment was on his show – some comment about, I guess, I don't know, putting something in Donald Trump's mouth. You know, oh. it was very, very derogatory. Uh-huh. Oh, well. Um, and you can tell, I mean, and that's really not who he is at all. Sure. So, of course, I mean, it, it, he's Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is a troll. I mean, he right. he, he says things to provoke people. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of He'll like. He'll turn around and contradict exactly what he said, you know, yeah. the day before. Right, exactly. I remember. Um, Quick story, I, I was in elementary school, and I would walk to school from my grandmother's house, and there was a dog mm-hmm. um, around the lines of Old Yeller, and mm. we would call the, the dog Old Yeller because mm-hmm. we would kick the uh, the gate, right. and the dog would go, right. and we'd have a lot of fun and just run off or whatever, and we'd do it each and every single time, and the dog would do the exact same thing, right. and I think about that. We've become that. Donald Trump will just kick us or say something, and right. we just – and it's like, listen, if we don't react to every single thing, mm-hmm. then it then he loses power. I mean, over, or, over or us. react to the substance. Um, right. The Congressional Black Caucus mm-hmm. just wrote him a letter. His uh, chief of staff or whoever sent them a letter because mm-hmm. they had met with him in January mm-hmm. and sent a letter and said – you know, we, we look forward to meeting and discussing more with you. And the caucus got together and said, no. They wrote a letter and said, we will not be meeting with you again because when we met with you, we brought up a bunch of our concerns. We actually gave you mm-hmm. um, some policy guide, you know, outlines, some, some suggestions, some mm-hmm. stuff, talking points, mm-hmm. some things that are important to us in our constituency. Mm-hmm. And you have in no way answered any of that um, when you've done – and they listed the, a number of things that you've done mm-hmm. in the time that you've been president. Each time we responded in this way, there has been no acknowledgement of our response, no attempt to come back and communicate with us or discuss, let alone meet us mm-hmm. in this. So show, giving you another photo op with the Black Congressional Congress – Yep. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give them an at bat. Let them, you know, give them an opportunity the to do caucus. the right thing. Caucus. Congressional Black Caucus. Yeah, yeah, I think you said it right. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and and yeah, we're right. We've given you the opportunity. If you want to talk about any of this stuff, mm-hmm. which we've already brought up, that's great. But no, and then you know these policies that you've signed up on, and they've responded. And at one point in the letter is mm-hmm. a timeline, mm-hmm. starting in January. Yeah, we did this. We said this. You did this. We said this. And mm-hmm. you know, and so far, no response. And yeah. so they said no. And I'm like, I want to see more of that, not the knee jerk reaction, right? Not the tap on the glass and mm-hmm. you know, or clap, kick the gate, right? Rah, 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 right. 
Exactly, and it's just really controlling yourself. Like last week, we were talking about you know um, losing control, losing control on stage, mm-hmm. losing control in life. Like uh, there was another, there were there were a couple of um, police officers who were exonerated for shooting. Um, oh right, of, um, black folks. Yes, and yes. I have a habit of going on the route to look at you know, right. the reaction, and even the reporters on on the route. Right. Um, has such a visceral reaction, and you can see it in their writing. And I'm right. like, okay, this is not really objective. And right. uh, I can understand your anger, but it doesn't help right. at all. And it's tough. I mean, it's right. If it's colored by anger, then people may not get past the anger. Right. Right. Exactly. And mm-hmm. you, it's not really doing your job if you're a right. reporter. Yeah. And I can understand the anger. I can understand the frustration, whether it be Trump, whether it be another officer exonerated. Bill Cosby got exonerated. Well, no, they just well, had a. Uh, well, it's I, I doubt if they'll they retry him again. They said they were going to though. Okay, I, I don't know how. I don't know if the evidence. I don't know. Right, how. I, I agreed. I, I don't yeah. know that they've got much to go on, but yeah, at least the official thing was. But that's and I hate when the media does that. They report that he's exonerated. No, it was a hung jury. It was a hung that's jury. not exonerated. Yeah. That just means they couldn't find you guilty. They did not find you innocent either. They right. said they couldn't figure it out. And it was 10-2. I heard it was 10 uh, who wanted to convict, mm-hmm. 2 who held out. Mm-hmm. And it goes right back into, I think I was talking about this last week, it's very, very hard to convict mm-hmm. someone who has been such an icon right. for the last half century. Right. Well, and the other funny thing is supposedly, I mean, sometimes you don't know if these things are jokes or not. Mm-hmm. Um, he supposedly wants to go around and talk to young people oh, about um, – the dangers of sexual harassment lawsuits, mm. accusations, to be accused of it. And I'm mm. like, right, because that is so prevalent in our society, as opposed to the actual incidents of sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, I wonder how a woman must feel. I mean, whether it be Trump, whether it be Cosby, or anything else, mm-hmm. just, it's, 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 it's like stepping on, on, just a horrible thing, and uh, Andrea yeah. Constant, and you know a bunch of those others. Like, you know, what's the point? And any other any other woman who who wants to file a complaint against a guy is like, well, is this what I've got to go through? Right. Yeah. Right. I'm gonna have to go through all this, and even then, the odds are not in my favor. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's just very very sad. But hey, it is what it is. But you know, we just have to. You have to have faith. I mean, if you don't have faith, and if you don't believe that. Think better things will come about, and that history will right things. Mm-hmm. Then, what other alternative do you have? I mean, that's the thing that keeps me positive right. about life and just going on. Like I've had a bunch of, I've had uh, some friends uh, either on Facebook or whatever talk about depression, right. talk about uh, just things weighing them down. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the uh, the UPS shooter who right. uh, who just killed a, a bunch of folks, and I think uh, he was killed himself. He was, yeah. There are people who. They just feel I can't see a tomorrow. I guess I guess when you close your eyes, and we can even relate this to theater, like as far as cr- the creative process, like as mm-hmm. a director. Right. There are times where you have to close your eyes and visualize mm-hmm. how the production is going to be. Visualize right. the future, and I think you enter a dark realm when you close your eyes and you don't see it. Right. You can't see the future, mm-hmm. and um, that's when people, you know, do very dark things. Well, the other aspect of this that um, that I heard people trying to debate and I find fascinating 
is so Bill Cosby is trying. Part of what his defense team is trying to do is to say, don't you know, stop talking about he's a role model. That's not who he is. That's mm-hmm. not what he is. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, number one, he's a celebrity. So celebrity is different than a let's say a working class actor. Mm-hmm. There are um, plenty of people who are out there in the trenches and they just do their job and that's it. But when they start going on the talk shows, when they start getting you know, oh, they were at this restaurant. Oh, they were spotted here. Oh, they were spotted there. Mm-hmm. And they start playing into that sense of celebrity. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, at that point, you are a role model. Yeah. And and to try and say that you aren't is ridiculous. And apparently, he has made statements over the years trying to claim not. But I'm sorry, Huxtable, that was totally moralizing. All the way back to Fat Albert, that was totally. Mo- Even as a kid watching those cartoons, I'm like. Mm-hmm. I'm liking the characters and, you know, the, the goofy stuff yeah. that's happening. But the little moral bit, it's like, I, I'm not missing this. I know yeah. what y'all are doing. Y'all are and preaching to me. Didn't he get an award for, from the NEA, the National Education Association, because he was doing, I mean, that's what his, that was his whole, that was what he got his whole Ph.D. for, I, educating I children. I, I don't doubt, and I think he deserves that. Yeah. So I, I think that's all fine, but that is putting yourself out there in the public realm, and when you are doing that, you are a public person. Right. It's not a light switch. It's not like, oh, you know, when you love me, now you can talk to me and talk right. about me and all this stuff. Oh, now you, you know, give me my privacy. You know, or no. even let me separate myself from that public persona. If you haven't been doing that, if that public persona has been seen, like the thing I always point to is when Fat Albert was on TV, mm-hmm. there were also a Playboy After Hours specials. Oh, yeah, and Bill right. Cosby was part of that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, dude, you can't have it both ways. You got shows for the little kitties, but you're also hanging out with the Playboy bunnies. Right. Yeah, you kind of stepped over a line there. Mr. Rogers ain't hanging out with the Playboy bunnies. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So, so you you and so instead of so now you want to deny? Oh no, I was never trying to be that. Mm, nope. You, you, Fat Albert, you, you're moralizing. You were mm-hmm. preaching to us about how we should be. And the lessons that we should learn. And every day it said that. Mm-hmm. Just listen to Jane. You might learn something. That's right. I remember that. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and that's when the hey, hey, hey would come in, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. I, I remember it. So, I totally remember you know, it. you can't have it both ways. There are plenty of people who can claim private lives. Mm-hmm. You know, every few weeks, every few months at the most, we hear about somebody else who's dead. And you're like, oh, I thought they were already dead. Because they've had a perfectly private life for a long time. Mm-hmm. They have been completely out of the spotlight. Yeah. Not so, Mr. Cosby. Right. That's exactly right. I, um, I was talking to someone about, is, about the ministry. And um, mm-hmm. someone was saying, oh, you should be a minister because, you know, I don't know. Maybe they saw me saying grace or something mm-hmm. <laughs> like that. And I was like, no, no, no. I think, uh, you know, there are a lot of folks who are in the ministry for all the wrong reasons because they yep. can give a good s- sermon or something like that, right. but they can't live the life. I right. mean, they're not dedicated right. to uh, the calling. Mm-hmm. And if you're not dedicated to the calling, then you shouldn't. I mean, you can contribute, but... Right. And so, I mean, I think about Charles Barkley. You know, Charles Barkley did that Nike commercial, I'm Not a Role Model. Right. And Charles Barkley is one of the most authentic individuals on TV now. Because sure. he'll clearly say, listen, I'm flawed. Okay, mm-hmm. right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to gamble. Right. I'm going to blow a million dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. I remember when he got caught. Uh, I think he was um, uh, with a prostitute, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he he basically says, "Hey, I got caught, and you know I'm human, and what can I do, and whatever." Right. And it wasn't that much of a controversy because people were like, "Hey, he's authentic, and it happened, and life right. goes on." 
didn't lose his contract. He's still on TNT. Right. Still getting Emmy Awards. <laughs> and right. not, I mean, I guess maybe he does a little bit of moralizing, but he's very real. He, he has his ways of wanting to reach out and help the community. Mm-hmm. But because um, there's a reality, there was a reality show oh, of him going, was it Detroit? Or yeah, was it he's going around to, I don't know the name of it, but uh, yeah, he's going oh, around. Or was it Baltimore? No, yeah. it was Baltimore, wasn't yeah. it? It, and that's yet another reaction to the Trump thing, where he wants to speak to different people from both right. sides. Well, and I think that's great that he wants to do that, even though it's TV, even though it's – but that does mm-hmm. put him in the position where he can't claim that he is not mm-hmm. a figure. He is a celebrity. He is a public figure mm-hmm. and therefore – and a role model. Mm-hmm. You know, I do wonder about – because he has a TV show going on, I think um, – there's a black guy, Van Jones, I want to yeah. say, who also has this. I want to speak to both ends of the uh, both parts sure. of the aisle to find out what's going on to heal right. or whatever. Right. I wonder if that's a. Uh, it's not a cliche, but I wonder if it's like a trend or this thing that's happening now. It's also a reaction to Trump, where and, mm-hmm. and I don't I, right. I don't know how authentic it is. I mean, Charles Barkley himself has even gotten criticism from. Right. TV reviewers saying, well, basically, he, all he's saying is, yes, I understand. I understand how you feel. I understand how right. you feel. Right. But no one's really saying anything. And at the end of the show, well, you know, we all have to sort of heal together and understand one another and listen to one another. Right. And just little, I mean, that's, you might as well just say, love the children, you know, or peace, <laughs> love, and happiness. I mean, well, he's giving these people a soapbox, and his celebrity is drawing an audience. Mm hmm. Beyond that, yeah, how how what how is the quality of the drama? The the, the, the drama is not very deep. Yeah. It's not ankle deep. But that's okay. A lot of what's on there is less than ankle deep. You know, Hoarders, shows like that, it's like, oh, <laughs> oh my. God. Really? Yeah. Can't we send a social worker out there and actually help this person <laughs> instead of y'all just talking to them as they debate whether or not they should actually hold on to mm-hmm. this little – you know, food to go clamshell because yeah. they've been saving it because they might need it and they got a whole. Or it reminds me that their husband who died, I don't know, 26 years ago <laughs> or something like that. But they do, I mean, they do have some uh, cleaning crew to clean clean up. They do, but it's a lot about, well, let's talk to this person and watch sure. about how strange they are. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you know, we're in the, we're in the era of reality TV. Yeah. We can each choose for ourselves where we draw the line and say, no, I can't watch that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully at some point as a culture, we'll get to a point where we go, yeah, we all don't want to watch that anymore. Yeah. But until we get there, yeah, it's worth going, well, let's figure out who it is who's watching all this stuff. Yeah. And what do they know? What do they care about? And don't do it to criticize them. Do it to really try and understand them. Yeah. Because I bet if we can come to a real place of understanding, like, you know, to be horribly cliche, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. If we can come to a place of really understanding, and then we point out that their state only funds this stuff, doesn't fund this, everybody else gets this, they wouldn't be in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, without getting overly political, we can get them to at least look at their situation and see that it's not normal. Mm-hmm. You know, the textbook definition of normal is average. Mm-hmm. This is not average. Y'all are way below average. Yeah. Well, people. How do you feel about that? People will change when they want to change. I mean, well, you yeah. know, um, yes, getting legislature in Mississippi to change, I I don't know. I, I just don't know about that. But getting back to you, – you had mentioned something interesting. I thought about when I was in college, uh, they, they, um, I guess there was an experimental theater group 
that wanted to stage just everyday people living. And right. they built a house on a stage, mm-hmm. and they had actors just brush your teeth, maybe take a shower, and just whatever, no scripts, no nothing. It was mm-hmm. exper- total experimental theater. And the show was open to the public. I don't even know if you can call it a, a theater performance, more oh, of an art performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I sort of remember Yeah, that. and it was open to the public 24-7. Mm-hmm. So you could walk in at 3 p.m. and just see whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting listening to this because, I mean, listening to the, the professor talk about this because I said, well, that's not really theater. I right. mean, that's not... I mean, I guess it reminds me of like Ed TV. I mean, back in the '90s, going into the arts, there were all mm-hmm. these theater, there were all these movies that talked about, I guess, uh, reality, virtual reality, The Truman Show, right? Ed TV, mm-hmm. and there were a bunch of others, right? Yeah. Where is it really entertaining watching people just live? I mm-hmm. mean, what's the big deal? Right. And it's the difference between you know, and people talk about how theater should represent life. Right, but theater's a little different. I mean, theater gives you a perspective mm-hmm. that we're all looking for in life. Like well, theater has a focus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the reality TV shows. The focus is just to generate enough controversy and drama mm-hmm. to keep an audience engaged. Right. Um, As a matter of fact, we, um, um, Christina mentioned uh, there's a controversy. Macbeth, I think, um, where uh, no Caesar. People, uh, oh, you hadn't heard about Caesar. that? Yeah, yeah, I thought we had talked about it last week. Yeah, um, the, it just closed. The public, mm-hmm. um, the public in New York was doing Julius Caesar, modern dress, um, Donald Trump as Caesar, so he gets assassinated as Julius Caesar did, mm-hmm. um, and the right just ran with that as the most horrible thing. Delta pulled its sponsorship. Somebody else pulled sponsorship. Mm. Uh, you know, big. These are big national sponsors. Mm-hmm. Um, the public stands behind its show. Um, the public stands behind the message of the show because the message of the show isn't go kill the president. And it's funny because I, I thought we had talked about it because I actually turned down Julius Caesar. I was offered the role. Mm-hmm. And naive young actor that I was, I was like, well, no, he gets killed like a third of the way through the play. I want one of the other roles <laughs> that gets to actually be there for yeah. a while. Not realizing that, you know, with w- the things that I teach now about status. Mm-hmm. Julius Caesar has to be an almost godlike status. That actor really has to come with it mm-hmm. so that when they take him down, it means something. But the bulk of the play is about how these conspirators right. pay the price mm-hmm. of their conspiracy, of mm-hmm. this assassination. Mm-hmm. That the public doesn't buy it for almost you know, more than a couple of Mark Antony speeches right. before they are completely riled up and then they're out of control. Mm-hmm. And it's a riot. It gets crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the play in New York reflected that. Right. Um, protesters getting up on stage and being taken out by the police only to facilitate the next scene where actors in the same kind of dress as the police are in are mm-hmm. coming in to be the police in the play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just just bizarre, bizarre. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, for the most part, going, wow, this is really incredible. One, Shakespeare hasn't gotten this much interest from <laughs> the general public in, right. you know, years and yeah. years and years. Yeah. But two, the message of the play, to really talk about the message of the play. And three, talk about this weird double-edged sword of corporate sponsorship mm-hmm. because Delta turns out sponsored, I think it was, I can't even remember, Cleveland or someplace who did a Julius Caesar mm-hmm. while Obama was president 
with a light-skinned black man as Julius Caesar, uh-huh. modern dress, who yeah. was assassinated. Mm-hmm. And apparently didn't say boo about that. Right, right. You know, so um, – and the history of the play is that it has regularly been done with that sort of a take on contemporary mm-hmm. situations. Yeah. Um, you know, modern understa- modern political understandings reflected in the world of the play. Mm-hmm. Um which is what we do with a lot of Shakespeare. We reflect our world in what this man wrote over 400 years yeah, ago. Yeah. Um, so this is no different than that. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't in any way change the shape of the play. And if they were advocating assassination, then Brutus and Cassius would be doing just fine at the end of the play. Right. Instead of, of turning on each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it reminds me of, um, you know um, – the Richard Wright thing that both of us were involved in, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a passage where they talk about uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, right. Uncle Tom's, Uncle Tom's cab- uh, grandchildren. Yeah, grandchildren. But the book Uncle Tom's Cabin right. is a abolitionist book right. which galvanized a, uh, a abolitionist movement. Right. But now as we the look at Uncle Tom's – The anti-slavery movement, yeah. Yeah, the anti-slavery movement. And, uh, but – as if you ask an African American now what Uncle Tom's cabin is, they're like, "Oh, you know, don't even talk to me about that." And right. Uncle Tom, I'm not Uncle Tom, and all that sort right. of stuff. Totally forgetting about the fact that Uncle Tom was a Christian right. slave who tried to get his slave master to understand how wrong he is. Right. And it's actually, you know, a very passionate mm-hmm. um, telling. Which written by this white woman who right. really wanted to free the slaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's exciting it's when arts mm-hmm. start to affect audiences that way. Right. No, I- exactly right. And it's also powerful. Shakespeare, getting back to Shakespeare, how meaningful it still is right now. I mean, people are still using the words of Shakespeare, even in well, 2017. Even so, there are people know the big moments of that play, but one of the small moments, which any good actress knows, classical actress knows, mm-hmm. is. Uh, Brutus's wife, Portia, Portia gets up in the middle of the night mm-hmm. because he is up mm-hmm. to say what's up, and he tries to blow it off, and she's like, "Yeah, because you don't need to tell me. You know, it's not like I'm, you know, a partner in this marriage, and mm-hmm. it's a political marriage. So, right. you know, she's not just eye candy. She's not just arms, mm-hmm. you know, dressing. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an intelligent, thoughtful woman, and." Mm-hmm. She knows her husband is agonizing over something, yeah. and she's smart enough to pick up on it. Shakespeare catches those psychological moments so gloriously that, of course, modern audiences understand yeah. it. Wonderful monologue. I remember I was at NYU. One of the most beautiful women, if I, if I could ever see her again, you know, I, would, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. Her name was Rachel Fox, and she was a student, mm-hmm. uh, acting student, and she did Portia. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond the beyond something of marriage, tell me, Brutus. I, I don't know the um, either. I'm your harlot or I'm your wife. I, and right. That that wonderful monologue. Yeah. And uh, she she and she said, the teacher was like, well, you know, you need someone who you can talk to. So who are you going to talk to? And she pointed to me. It's like, okay, come on, come on, Reggie. You know. Right. And I was just butter in her in her hand. She was married, so I had, right. I couldn't whatever. But just uh, but you're absolutely right. You know that Portia monologue was just wonderful. And, um, well, and its intention is to show us another side of Brutus. Right. And so that hopefully, because people miss this, tragedy works when we care about the main character. Yep. And we care about their hopes and desires. Mm-hmm. And when they 
fail to get them, we may blame them for their flaws, whatever we think, you know, mm-hmm. led them in the wrong path. Yeah. But um, but we first have to have a care and understanding and an appreciation for them. Yeah. So that wonderful moment, because he is, he's being tight-lipped and he's being secretive, and she is able to talk him down. So mm-hmm. by the end of that scene, they are going to bed. Yeah. But I think immediately af- after that scene, doesn't – um um. Cassius, Cassius yep. knock on the door yeah. and say, "Hey, come on, we gotta go. We got it's time. Yeah, yeah, time to do it." So he's between Brutus is between love, Portia, right. and hate. Right. Is, yeah. But yeah, to see him get drawn in. So yeah, those things those things are in the you know in the best of classical works in the best of uh, the stuff that we call the canon. These these time honored mm-hmm. plays, these plays that have stood the test of time. That yeah. doesn't matter what date they were done mm-hmm. something about them still is meaningful yeah to i had a question for you because you mentioned caesar i hadn't thought about it as a tragedy but i guess it is a tragedy yeah it's a tragedy we don't see a lot of modern day tragedies i mean tragedy is is not i mean we see melodrama we see well, of course the dramedy is what yeah we're, what we're getting now the yeah. drama comedies um and they're they're gorgeous I have my own take on it, and I realize – it's funny. I don't think of myself as being some sort of Pollyanna optimist, mm-hmm. but um, I don't think – I know that we are going through what feel like bleak times, mm-hmm. but um, but I think that human beings are better than that. I mm-hmm. think human beings can transcend it. In fact, I often – I find more and more recently that I'm responding to things by saying – but I think we can do this. But I think we're capable of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. And again, to hold out that hope mm-hmm. um, is meaningful, is I think necessary. So um, when I did God of Carnage, that's one of those plays that has a lot of really hilarious moments. Mm-hmm. But by the end of it, the audience kind of walks out a little shell-shocked because they just watched this like rat cage match mm-hmm. domestic you know, thing between mm-hmm. these two couples that is just brutal. Um, in the same way that Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. That's be right. Brutal. I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Um, and I think there are people who read it and say, yeah, you know, it's sort of like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is given this veneer of society, of um, sophistication, because these are college professors. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gotten past that point where we're turning over those rocks and saying, oh, look, even they're that way. We're kind of saying, oh, it's just mossy and nasty under every rock. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, kind of it is mossy, and r- but that's also the way life works. And mm-hmm. there's some beautiful, you know, we have things in our yard that people might call weeds, but there are these, like, lilies or calla lilies mm-hmm. that pop up all over the yard. They're gorgeous. For a couple of months, two or three months, mm-hmm. we get to see these things. They're gorgeous. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of um, – our backyard is full of nasturtiums. So there are these orange flowers that just go everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could say, wow, they're weeds. Mm-hmm. And, and they keep everything else from growing and blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. You know, they were actually strangling an aloe vera plant that we had. Mm-hmm. I had to pull them off the plant and get them clear the area around mm-hmm. that. I think it's possible to have the positive hope. So even with God of Carnage, where by the end of it you have – Seeing these two folks peel back the ugliness, the underlying ugliness of their relationships that they have politely not really dealt with, mm-hmm. not really had to face, and now they've had to face it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't also include in that under, you know, that underskin, that mm-hmm. uh, 
that there's love underneath yeah. all this too. That there is a legitimate something that you could call love there. Yeah. If you ignore that, then yes, it's all bleak and horrible and negative. Mm-hmm. If you don't ignore it, then we get to the place of oh, um, so we laugh at this. And we're horrified at mm-hmm. the ugliness that these people just carry around secretly. Mm-hmm. But we hope that they will move forward. And so I was the only person in the cast who was going, my hope is that that other couple will go away, that he will care more about his wife yeah, and see her need to be cared for better, mm-hmm. and that she will have felt not quite as helpless as she felt coming in the door. She has had a moment of power. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that lives, resonates and continues in her. For the other couple, the couple that I was in, we had just uncovered some really nasty lies that we've been telling each other. Now, that could be the end of our relationship. Or we could say, well, so what is our relationship built on? It isn't built on these lies. These lies just became a convenient way for us to not have to address some issues. Can we address them can we agree not to address them? Mm-hmm. Can we move forward together? Mm-hmm. Or is this all over? And we're coming out, we as a society are coming out of this era where divorce, the divorce rate kept climbing and climbing. Mm-hmm. And now in the last few years, it's actually been dropping. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. It's been dropping. They say partly it's been dropping because people are waiting later to get married and mm-hmm. aren't getting married as much as they used to. <coughs> mm-hmm. So by number, those are dropping, mm-hmm. but also just as a percentage of what's going on, yeah. it's dropping. People aren't divorcing as quickly. Because mm-hmm. we went, starting with, I'd say, the 60s, 70s, we went through that period of no-fault divorce. You know, it's not the biggest sin in the world. You can just, it's you're not a failed human being if you do that. Mm-hmm. And I think we're coming around to the, you know, when you made a mistake, you made a mistake. So... Yeah, it doesn't mean you're a horrible human being, mm-hmm. but to say, no, I'm not a bad person, I'm fine, and the divorce was just a, I don't know, ah, no, <clears throat> I made some mistakes, we made some mistakes, we weren't able to deal with each other, mm-hmm. and we moved on. I have let go of so many cars in my life that I look back on and go, wow, I wish I had put some more money into that car and kept it. Yeah. Yeah, you can look at it one, in one or two ways. I mean, uh, what, let's say the divorce rate is dropping. You can either say people are sticking around or mm-hmm. they're holding on to what they have longer. Or you can say people just aren't getting married a lot. Right. That's, mm-hmm. And those are all factors. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, And a, a lot of people have said, well. And young people yeah. had a higher divorce rate. So if people aren't getting right. married as young, mm-hmm. that's affecting it. Right, exactly. And I'm finding a lot of folks either younger or let's say in their 30s or, or what have you are saying, wow, I've got a lot of options online mm-hmm. with the dating right. sites and all that stuff. So I'm just going to hold off a little bit and mm-hmm. just experiment and have fun and enjoy, you know, dating and, and all the, the other stuff. Right. You know, they're all there's uh, and, you know, they have all these labels like um, 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 I can't think of labels right now uh, 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 just experimenting people you know people want to experiment and just have fun so metrosexual well sure sure metrosexual happyosexual sapios you know mm-hmm. it, it goes all all sorts of places and stuff so but getting back to uh what you're saying it is with with tragedy if you, you know you mentioned the the thing it's become a trope now. If you look under a rock, everyone has a, a dark side right, or what have you. Right, right. All the, you um, the idols have clay feet. Right, exactly. If you j- just look at that and you lose the context of how someone got there. Right. 
then you sort of lose it all. And uh, I think um, I remember uh, my I had a, a theater teacher tell us the five elements of tragedy. One, it has to do with a serious subject. Mm -hmm. Two, the the person must be an important figure, either a person of status or someone that can relate to the audience. Three, um, what must happen should happen, no coincidence. Mm -hmm. Four, there must be pity and fear. Pity for the protagonist and fear that it will happen to you. Mm -hmm. And five, the protagonist must meet defeat, but beforehand mm -hmm. reaches a catharsis or an, emo uh, right. an emotional cleansing. Um, and I think the thing about, like when I think about Oedipus mm -hmm. or, you know, even Hamlet and some of the others, right. it's not so much the how they went down, but what they hold on to dear, yeah. uh, what is so important to them, like, you know, the love of, of, of Ophelia, of mm -hmm. Ophelia, um, Oedipus wanting to make things right before he, right. you know, goes down or, or Well, not, not just wanting to make things right, saying that he is the hero and therefore he will do everything within his power to make things right. Right, right. You know, he's not depending on somebody else to get it done. Mm -hmm. He's saying, no, you come to me. I'm the guy. Yeah, that's Oedipus the king, right? Oedipus the king, yeah. Right, yeah. And then he realizes, oh, my God, you know, when he finds the answer. Yeah, when he finds out he's the he's the monster. Right. It's uh, Michael Douglas in oh gosh, I can never remember that the name of that movie. It's set in L.A. Mm -hmm. where he just has a really bad day, and he basically sort of marches across L.A. Uh -huh. escalating. So yeah. he goes from being trashing a Korean deli, you know, Korean store, yeah, to um, oh falling down, falling down, yeah. And at the very end, he says, "I'm not the bad guy, man." <laughs> yeah, I remember that, and. And I feel like that's the mirror that it would be useful for us all to hold mm -hmm. up to, you know, especially when they talk about this whole great make America great. And, yeah. you know, and what's under that is the um, we're the country's in horrible shape and blah, 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 blah. And it's mm -hmm. like, no, no, no. Like what Colin was talking about when he was on with us. Mm -hmm. um, the standard of living is incredible right now in mm -hmm. the country. Yeah. In history. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Um you know, crime is down. There are all these things mm -hmm. that we can look at and go, wow, these are not things for us to be worrying about. Right. We are somehow being distracted from looking towards the future mm -hmm. by all of the minor fears that other people are elevating and, um, and sure. over, you know. Amplifying, yeah. 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 So it's – and I feel like one of the things I, I, I ended up dealing with this week was the – this idea of um, well, they were talking about the uh, Sophia uh, Coppola movie. Oh yeah, um, where she took a story that existed, which was based on a book that existed mm -hmm. um, about folks in the South mm -hmm. during slavery, mm -hmm. and she felt that the slave character was an awkward, difficult was the word she used. It was a difficult thing to deal with. She felt like it was dealt with poorly in the book. That mm -hmm. there was just a level of, I guess, racism, mm -hmm. stereotyping, whatever that she was not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So because she wasn't comfortable with it, but she was totally comfortable with everything else apparently. She was willing to make this movie, happy to do it. Mm -hmm. She just got rid of the black character, the slave character. Hmm. Just got rid of it. Uh-oh. And I'm like, um, now, I'm a black person in an awkward time in America mm -hmm. um, when it comes to race politics. And your solution to addressing that is to erase it. Ignore it. That that's how you want to deal. Hmm. So I'm sorry. 
how does this movie in any way relate to my experience? And I feel like I run into the same issue. Um, I read an article, you know, and it was a bad, it was one of these bad websites mm-hmm. um, where somebody, you know, poor logic, okay. somebody used poor logic yeah. to talk about the Klan and to say, let me show you the top ten um, cities in California, planned cities in California. <laughs> And what okay. they're doing is taking stats from 1915 to 1940. Oh. And part of those stats are the claverns, they're called, the mm-hmm. places where there are clan gatherings. Oh, God. Um, they call them claverns? Claverns. Okay. Um, and so to cite those, because mm-hmm. this is documented stuff, mm-hmm. to then cite those, um, take the current population of those communities mm-hmm. – and do a mathematical analysis of how clan infected. You can't even say racist because specifically you're talking about the clan. Mm-hmm. And yes, all those numbers are there, and yes, all those numbers are accurate. It's just a misuse of statistics, a total misuse of statistics. Yes. Because you're talking about what happened in 1940 and using this population now yeah. to do those numbers. And one of the cities cited is Alameda. Mm-hmm. Now, the place where it gets touchy is I say, well, number one, yes, you are documenting what was actually there in Alameda. So nobody can dispute that. That's mm-hmm. documented fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, Alameda has grown much since then. Yeah, I mean, Alameda, I mean, if you're looking at statistics back in 1940, I mean, that's over 50 years ago for right. God's sake. But I would say if that were true in Alameda in 1940, mm-hmm. then those grandparents – who were there and either part of it mm-hmm. or living in a community where they were willing to turn a blind eye to it, to mm-hmm. not be aware of it, mm-hmm. to ex- accept it, like the housing thing, you know, redlining mm-hmm. and yeah. we're not going to let people move here, covenants and all that stuff. Sure, yeah. We're just going to, oh, that's just the way it is. Oh, those people want it that way. And so those grandparents, maybe they weren't part of that at all, but they lived in that environment. Mm-hmm. Now they raise their kids in that environment. Now your parents mm-hmm. raise you in that environment. Mm-hmm. It's easy to see how that initial impulse, racist impulse, mm-hmm. may still be a root in where you live and how you live your life in Alameda. And the fact is, you know, despite all that hypothetical that I just said, I know as a black man, every time I go to Alameda, I'm on guard. I know that other black people have told me the same thing. I have been pulled over in Alameda. I have driven out of Alameda at 27 miles an hour because the signs say 25. And I've taken enough um, traffic school classes Mm -hmm. to know that police generally set the speed limit at 5 to 10 miles below what the common speed is. So that at any time they need to pull people over, they can because everybody's doing 30 and it says 25. So if they need to pull you over, if they want to pull you over, Mm -hmm. they've got a reason to pull you over. But they said, this one brilliant teacher in traffic school said, but if you're just a couple of miles over the speed limit, they're not going to pull you over. Because when you go to court and you say a couple of miles, let's say you took your car to the mechanic Mm -hmm. and it turned out that your speedometer was off a couple of miles. Mm -hmm. So they're going to do five or ten miles because then – your speedometer is that far off, you've got some serious problems. And I should tell a secret because I've been in uh, Department A and B in San Francisco, which is Mm -hmm. the traffic court. Uh A lot of times the cops don't show up. 
Right. Well, I know. I used to go when I lived in San Francisco. I always went. Mm -hmm. I tried doing that here in Oakland, but once money started getting tight, mm -hmm. the judges apparently are – and they, they will say it in court, in open mm -hmm. court. They will say that they have guidelines, and part of those guidelines are now not dropping the, the fines as much as they used to. Mm -hmm. And the cops are a little more likely to be there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. So it's, it's been interesting. But, yeah, it's – I do have a question, though. You mentioned generations passing down the racism. Right. I've maybe I'm a little naive, but I, I would always th I had always thought, well, let's say Pulaski, Tennessee, may have been where they say the Klan was born. Sure. But that was the old generation. You know, the newer right. generation is woke, and you know, and we just don't believe in that anymore. Now, of course, racism still exists, but right. I would think that generations would grow out of that. But do you think but there's a concentrated say, effort to pass? Let's say there's a restaurant. Yeah. And the people who start the restaurant only want to serve Klan and, and white people, and mm -hmm. that's what they want to do. So that generation of folks dies off, mm -hmm. and maybe everybody else doesn't agree with them. But by now, the whole community knows that you go to that restaurant or you don't go to that restaurant. Yeah. And you may go to that restaurant with no awareness of that reality. I mean, this is the issue that we run into, and it's funny. There was a, a <laughs> there was a funny article that was posted uh, this week. Um, a, a guy said, um, ten reasons a white guy explains ten reasons why he's not privileged." Okay. <laughs> and and I wasn't. The, I read the comments, oh and it cracked me up because there was another black person in the comments <laughs> who said, "You know, I was really getting ready to get mad." Uh -huh. But what's funny is the first three or four of the obvious ones. I worked hard, and I got an education, <laughs> and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and yeah. I went to the bank to buy a house. And it got to like five or six, and it was like, what do you mean if my name was a certain name that I wouldn't be able to get a job, that just seeing my re my name on my resume, they wouldn't get what, – what is that, a thing? What are you talking about? Hmm. And by seven, by you know, by a couple of more, he's just going, wait a minute, but um, – by nine, he's saying, okay, I, I get it. <laughs> what can I do about it? What, what if I give some money to Planned Parenthood? Planned Parenthood. Oh, God. <laughs> it was hilarious. And I feel like people sincerely, and I see it all the time. Yeah. I post up, and sincere white friends will come back mm -hmm. with, and some non-white friends will come back with, well, come on, that's not true for everybody. My family was poor. And they live, blah, blah, blah. We ate, you know, mayonnaise sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm sorry y'all ate mayonnaise sandwiches. But, you know, I could be a professor at a prestigious university and have a cop pull me out of my house in handcuffs. Right. Because my neighbor called to say some black guy was breaking into my house. Yeah, a la Henry Louis Gates. That's yeah. right. That's right. You know, I'm sorry. Or get pulled. I mean, even, even Obama admits, yeah, mm -hmm. I've been pulled over before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would appreciate it. I mean – all you have to do, you know, I, I don't have a lot of, you know, there are some, I think I told you uh, where th there was a, uh, I had a neighbor, and uh, we were in the, um, the, what do you call it, the sauna. We were in the sauna, and uh, oh, okay. he, he was like, I think I told you the story already, and he mm -hmm. was like, hey, man, I saw Django, yeah! Oh, right, yeah, you did say, yo. <laughs> As if I'm, I'm supposed to be like, uh, okay, that's, that's great, or whatever, I mean. There's some right scary revenge fantasy. Yeah, that's where I live. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's and I, I could care less about right going change. But the very fact that he thought I know how to connect with him. Right. Instead of just talking to me. Right. And 
I don't, you know, there there's some there's some black folks who are like, hey, I want forty acres and a mule. You know, you mm. owe me reparations right. for you right. know what my great 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 granddad had to go through via right. slavery, and I'm not really feeling that because you know yeah. I'm not going to that that that's something that happened to my great great grand granddad. Right. That didn't happen to me. Right. I don't feel that white folks should apologize. Just, I mean, just treat like a human. Just be, just be a human being. I don't think they should apologize for what their great grand granddaddy did. I, I don't know what my great granddaddy did. That, that is so not my problem. Right. Um. I, but I think they do need to get woke. I think they need yes. to recognize yes. that you didn't just get this job or this apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. When you sit around with your buddies and you smoke a sack of weed, which you know nobody even does sacks <laughs> anymore, they do whatever. Yeah, um, I guess they know nickel bags anymore, right? Uh, they, I'm sure they do, but you know, it's just not what it was. Yeah, it's, I hear it's you. a different world. Yeah, um, but you know, a bunch of white guys do that. And the picture that's been going on recently, Sean King particularly is sharing mm-hmm. this picture of this cop stopping a white guy mm-hmm. um, at a white you know, uh, one of these white supremacist rallies. Yeah. Um, trying to de-escalate with the guy. It's clear he's doing it. Mm-hmm. The white guy is in the foreground, facing away from the camera, facing the cop. The cop is reaching out at him, saying, basically saying, "Now don't do that, son," because the white guy has his hand on his gun in his holster, hmm. like he's getting ready to pull it out. And of course, if he were black, boom, he'd be dead. He'd be dead. And yeah. you know, so to recognize. That mindset, mm-hmm. and from a certain perspective, of course, we should all have that mindset. I am a citizen. I pay my taxes. You are an agent who is here to serve and protect exactly. me. I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah. You are out of line. I'm upset with you, and I get to express my upsetness. Right, yeah. And to say, well, that's not privilege. It's privilege when not everybody is allowed exactly. to do it. That's exactly right. And so it's learning that <coughs> or, you know, the same mm-hmm. thing with housing and jobs and all that yeah. stuff. Now, you know, I know it happens. Uh, Mara, I've learned this from her with mm-hmm. Ban, yeah. that some places, a lot of places now have to do blind auditions. Mm-hmm. Because if a musician is good enough to play, mm-hmm. you'll hear it. And you don't need to know if it's a man or a woman or what they are. Right. And women have gotten, because of that, women have gotten more jobs. That's and there fantastic. are people who have... Mm-hmm. Held the line on that. That's not necessary. <coughs> we don't need to do it. Yeah, but your organization is mostly men. Right. And organizations that do this mm-hmm. suddenly get a lot more women. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you are going to recognize these sorts of realities mm-hmm. and go, wow, we need to set up a system so that it isn't the name on the resume that gets the job or gets the interview or doesn't get the interview. Mm-hmm. It's what the resume represents, what they've been, where they've been through, what they've done. Mm-hmm. That's what should get it. And how do you, until we can figure out a way to make that work better, mm-hmm. as a white person, you need to recognize that you're just sat in a position where it just falls in your lap, where things go your way. <coughs> yeah. And if you're honest about it, that's fine. I mean, if you, I don't, you don't need to be an apologist. You right. know, just say, hey, listen, yeah, I probably did get this job because uh, I'm white or and mm-hmm. and I'm sorry, Reg, if you know if you didn't because of whatever, but I didn't create this, you know, this right. system and it's just the way that it is. But I'm not going to be frustrated with right. and that's where we are politically right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say I'm being attacked mm-hmm. or I'm losing my opportunities because other people are getting special privileges. 
Right. Without recognizing, no, 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 you've had special, you have had opportunities way out of proportion to your representation in society. Mm-hmm. We aren't even getting you close to where you should be. Right. We're just taking a little bit of your overrepresentation and mm-hmm. spreading it out a little bit. Yeah. So if you can't see that you had too much mm-hmm. and you aren't being deemed for that, mm-hmm. you are just getting down to where you should be. Mm-hmm. If, if you can do that, and that's huge to go, wow, I thought I was just okay. I thought I was normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you you were privileged, and yeah. now's your opportunity to try and help balance that. If they choose to do so. Mm-hmm. It's funny you were mentioning women. I remember having a conversation with a woman, um, white, blonde woman, um, in 2008. Mm-hmm. She was so pissed off that Obama – um, got won the nomination over Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. She was like, God damn it. Why, why, why does a woman have to wait? Why does a woman have to wait? And, <laughs> and I, I was like, listen, I, you know, what do you want me to do? Apologize because <laughs> Obama you know, won the nomination or probably win the election. I mean, you know, Hillary will – there's nothing wrong with Hillary. You know, she'll, mm-hmm. she'll find a way. And, and her point, of course, was why does a white woman have to wait you know, before a black man and all that stuff? Right. And it's the same thing with you know with with with, um, with the vote, right? And 1865, right. and you know we had to wait until 1920, yeah. the 19th Amendment. And I'm like, hey, uh, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I sympathize and all of that stuff. I'm sure you have a lot of privileges that mm-hmm. I can't have as a black man. Mm-hmm. And uh, she just wa- she wanted to argue. And she wanted to vent. And I was like, well, I, and I'm not. I don't want to argue with any of these people. You know, bad is bad. Mm-hmm, that's right. But the biggest problem with all this is as soon as we start pointing to whose bad it is, mm-hmm. you know, when you stop and you open the door, everybody goes through and there's a nice flow. Mm-hmm. When you open the door and try to make the people coming at you wait, mm-hmm. there's that awkward moment. That's if you right. take a second and let them go through, mm-hmm. then you get your turn. Right. So we take turns. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way it has to be. Mm-hmm. Only one person is ever going to be elected president at a time, hopefully. I mean, <laughs> they right. tried it the other way. It didn't work. Right, right. Um, so maybe it isn't our turn. Maybe the totally qualified – it wouldn't be the first time that the most qualified person didn't get the position. That's exactly right. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love, in terms of presidential history, Hoover. Because I, I didn't know Hoover's history. Mm-hmm. Hoover, like, saved Russia. After World War One, mm-hmm. when they were starving, the ration, the he rationing. took ships over there, mm-hmm. and he and he figured it out. He was engineer, and he mm-hmm. figured it out, and yeah. he made it happen. And why wouldn't you elect this guy president? Yeah, of course he's a perfect person to elect president. And then it turns out that he can't deal with the economics mm-hmm. of our country mm-hmm. and what's going on when mm-hmm. the market tanks. He's just clueless. Hoover was a fantastic. Um, was a fantastic person. I mean, he yeah. and his wife, Lou Henry Hoover, they spoke fluent Chinese mm-hmm. because he had a mining business mm-hmm. in China. That's how he got rich. And in the Harding administration, and Harding was one of the worst presidents we right. ever had. Right. You know, he was yep. gambling. Harding was gambling dinner plates that you yeah. know, um, China, the White House China, right, and screwing Nan Britain and and all of that stuff. And he had. The Albert Fall and the whiskey teapot dome scandal, mm-hmm. and the smartest guy in the room that he had was Hoover, uh-huh, right. who created the rationing program, which saved you know a lot of folks in World War One. Right, and I truly believe you know you mentioned the stock market crash. I truly believe that Harding 
threw a brick in the air. Right. And it crashed when Hoover became president. Right. Yeah, no, that's what happened. Yeah. A couple of months after he became president, the stock market crashed. Right. That, I mean, and so it's funny because he gets blamed. And he didn't deal with the situation well. Yeah. But when it was time to pick somebody, mm-hmm. he was the gold boy. He was the one. He looked like he was the hero. Yeah. You know, this man was going to march across the world and save everybody. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I think about Adelaide Stevenson. Adelaide Stevenson yeah. was, you know, a brilliant individual. I think she was the first ambassador for the United States for the United Nations. But he was known as an egghead. Right, and no one's going to elect an egghead. You know, we're going right. to elect the uh, you know f- the former Allied commander right. of the of the United States, um, uh, Eisenhower. Eisenhower was a great general, right? But he wasn't that great of a president. I mean, he did right. okay as a president, but he allowed a lot of things to happen. You know, <coughs> sort of like where we're at now. I mean, it does. Yeah, you know, like McCarthy. You know, he allowed McCarthyism to happen. Didn't know it. It was afraid. Right. Didn't know what to do about it. Right. Um, yeah, I I think. That we as people, as citizens, mm-hmm. as neighbors, mm-hmm. can just try to figure out. I see we have Asian neighbors in our neighborhood, mm-hmm. and and I hear them often speaking something besides English. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, it's my neighborhood. We also have Spanish-speaking neighbors. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, if I have an issue with this, this is my problem. Mm-hmm. Not their problem. Mm-hmm. They're good neighbors. Mm-hmm. They're wonderful neighbors. And when I'm out there weeding and they see me weeding, they wave and they smile. And when I see them out there weaving, and mm-hmm. weeding, I wave and I smile. You know, I, I, I think I'd be happier with the situation I'm in mm-hmm. than to try and find some way to homogenize it into some safe something. Yeah. And if you think about it, we're talking about privilege. Don't you feel you're more privileged than, let's say, your father or your grandfather or even your neighbors who speak Chinese or whatever, who is a d- that could be a disadvantage? I, I would imagine that my grandfather was probably afraid about dealing with white people more than he had to. Mm-hmm. And I grew up with them, so I went to school with them. Right. You know, they, they, they bleed like I bleed. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> I right. I get better grades than them <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, and um, I mean and the ones who get better grades than me yeah. sometimes like me and want to be my friends because mm-hmm. I'm one of the smart ones. That's right. That's exactly right. And sometimes there's a jerk who doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> but yeah, you know the the people come in all shapes and sizes and attitudes. Mm-hmm. But we need to. It would be nice for us to get past this notion of special privileges, and instead embrace this idea of if all men are created equal, right? Then you're making room for a plurality. Mm-hmm. And if we aren't doing that, well, and that's what I loved. Uh, the other thing that came up with, I think it was, maybe it was initially about the Sofia Coppola thing, and then it's gotten to more of a, what are we making as theater artists? Mm-hmm. Are we making, um, this was um, actually Melissa Hillman wrote a blog about it, um, okay. and her Bur- Bitter Gertrude blog. Mm-hmm. Um, are we making the kind of theater are we making an effort to put on stage the mm-hmm. world that we envision, the ah. world as we think it should be? Yeah. Are we reflecting the ways that the world that we live in mm-hmm. falls short of our, our ideals yeah. or the ways that it finds it hard to live up to those ideals? Mm-hmm. Are we putting any of that stuff on stage? Yeah. And, and I thought, yay! And not just the actors, mm-hmm. but also – Making sure that you're getting the directors, the costumers, the designers, mm-hmm. um, 
making sure that you're connecting out to those communities. You know, I came up as an actor where if I was the one black face in the room, I was like, well, black people are represented. (laughs) But I didn't turn around and, uh, you know, in San Francisco, I didn't go to KPU and say, hey, can I get on the show and, you know, talk to the black community and say, hey, I'm actually in this show over here. Yeah. You know, did I do those things? No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are ways that we can make sure. Because you hear everybody talk about black rep, black rep, yeah. black Berkeley rep. Yeah. You know about black Berkeley rep? And it's like, well, it's actually called black repertory company. But, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, black, it's a black Berkeley rep. Yeah. Mm, yeah, not, not, not really in so many ways. But that audience is loyal to them because they feel like this is an organization that is reflecting their community to them. Yeah. And what I want to say to those people is, well, you see me right here standing in front of you, right? I reflect your community too. I may not live where you live. I may not live the way you live. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about the black community, I hope that you will include me Mm -hmm. in your imagination of what that is. Because not only am I here in front of you now, but somebody like me was here in front of audiences back when Shakespeare was writing his shows. Shakespeare didn't write about black people because he was just making it up. They were around. Yep, that's exactly right. And if you didn't know that, then your community, your worldview is a little small. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make it as beautiful and black as you want it to be, but a little bigger. Yeah. A lot bigger. Because you have to get out of your box. It's yeah. very comfortable being in your box, you know, whether it be the black rep community or, right. I don't know, the, um, you know, your Or the people community. who didn't want to see um, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with a Black Man as a Young Professor. Oh, yeah. Because that wasn't happening in 1962. Well, actually, that guy, did he die or just retire? I think he died. Who's the this? first professor. Okay. Who crossed the color line at a major university. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. That just happened. Yeah. And that was like 1962. Yeah, that's right. It was like, um, so actually the year of this play is the year that that happened. Right, yeah. Um, so that would actually be very specifically a reference to what is going on now mm-hmm. when the playwright is writing the play. If the playwright is unaware of it, it might be because his – Bias is blinding him to the social and cultural realities of his community. Mm-hmm. And we would encourage theater artists to go ahead and expand that palette to reflect accurately, more accurately, the world as it has been. But we've been told a different story in America. And we can, in a very entertaining way, help you correct and adjust it's like the old TVs where there was a tent control, that's right, that's a right. contrast control. Yeah, we we can help you get a little bit of color <laughs> in your TV. Yeah, for millennials who don't know, you know, there's as a matter of fact, even with the one knob, the one knob had, you know, like the front part of the knob, you would turn the channel, right, and then there would be another knob right behind to tune it, it to tune it. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, that's what we want to do is a little cultural tuning. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, I know you love the black rep, but, you know, if you can get out of that, you'll still see some good you representations. You will see of some amazing stuff and some amazing people. Mm-hmm. And, unfortunately, you won't see them on that stage because their level of theater is community theater. So they're not paying as much. They're not working under the same standards that mm-hmm. other theater companies are working under. So they're making what they make. And maybe they do that really well. Mm-hmm. But they're missing some opportunities. Or... Put it another way, there is room 
for some other things so we can keep that. Yeah. It's like I hated Tyler Perry initially. Yeah. Like what? Chitlin Circuit Shows? What? Yeah, yeah. And then I saw how America wasn't familiar with what that was. Right. And I was like, oh, well, then you need to know the black community a lot better than you know it because that's all that's – those movies is nothing but, mm-hmm. you know, the tropes and the yeah. um, the um, archetypes. Right. The cliches, yeah. Uh, and that's what he's generating for you. Mm-hmm. But it's brand new to you, America. Right. Well, we can show you some other brand new yeah. stuff too without I, having I had to a go Philippine there. girlfriend. She was like, come on, let's, let's see a Tyler Perry thing. I was like, oh, God. But it was new to her. Right. And – she enjoyed it. You're right. And so, yeah, I want to say to that audience, if you really enjoyed that, come over here and see this. Yeah. Expand your palate. I, I, I would hope. Yeah. Well, yeah, we should get to some shout-outs. Um, this is coming up, and it's funny. It's um, our – I'll be out of town for our Independence Day. Mm-hmm. France's Independence Day is July 14th. That's right. And Tender Napalm is going to open – this is Anton Wells Theater Company, and they're going to be at the Temescal Arts Center, which is over just off of Telegraph and 48th. Um, it opened July 14th, and it'll run through August 5th. Uh, it is a, they say, a painfully beautiful exploration of sexual love and unimaginable loss. What I know about the company is that they are a small company, small, smart company that loves to play with the sort of visceral nature of theater, you know, that you really get into on a visceral, visceral level, get into understanding what's going on with folks, with these characters, with the world that they are representing. It's just another vision of our world. And so I'm enjoying them, and I'm hoping that we can get the director, Robert Estes, on. Absolutely. Because um, – I think it would be fun to have him talk a little bit about it. I've, mm-hmm. I've been enjoying – he and I have had some conversations over the last few months. and Yeah, we definitely got to get Robert Estes on. Um, if, you, if you're listening, you know, um, hit us up and we'll, uh, we'll set we'll you up. We'll figure out a date. I'll, I'll check in with him and see, yeah. see what we can set up. And the only other shout-out I had, Christine Uren was mentioning how wonderful um, – Craig, Craig Souza was talking about it, the um, – the, there's a play at the Ashby. Um, uh, no, Hella? Huh? Hella? No, no. Uh, well, Hella. I know you mentioned Hella. No. Oh, no, at the Ashby stage. I'm sorry. Hella is up at uh, Theater First. Yeah. Eureka. I'm sorry. Not the Ashby. The Eureka. Um, it may have ended right now. Um, oh, shoot. At the Eureka in Between San Priscilla. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, well, it was an exciting movie, so. Yeah. So that th- I believe that is still playing, and uh, Craig Souza had mentioned it because mm-hmm. he's a member of the board of Theater Rhino, and um, and a good friend of mine, AJ, is directing the uh, the dance. He's the dance choreographer. AJ, for that. yeah, uh, AJ uh, uh, Mitchell, I think his his last name is AJ. A A J A apostrophe J A Y. Maybe we're talking about two different. It might guys. be. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just met. Um, and AJ and we did a word for word thing together mm-hmm. a couple of months ago now. Dancer? I didn't know if he was a dancer. He moved pretty well. Yeah. We were on stage at the one ten in the shade and uh, he did a magnificent job. Mm-hmm. Tap dancing as well. Uh. But in any case, yeah, Priscilla Queen of the Desert, I believe that is still playing at the Eureka Theater. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm sure many of you will be um participating in Pride Week Pride Pride uh, weekend. Uh you know, afterwards, after the festivities, you know, stop on over at the Ashby at 8 
can check out Priscilla Cooney's development. Victoria. Vi is it at Victoria? No, I thought it was at the. Uh, it's at the Ashby stage. I'm sorry, not the Ashby. I keep on saying that. U the Eureka. The Eureka. Eureka. Yes. Okay. Eureka Theater. And oh, Eureka. I'm sorry. Where's the Eureka? Jackson, 215 Jackson. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's right, it's close right. to the Embarcadero, yeah. Because mm -hmm. I've, I've acted many, many, many times at the, at the not at the Eureka, the, at the, um. Victoria? Victoria, no, the, the Eureka, that's what I meant. Oh, okay. You've acted there. Yeah, yeah, I've acted there. Okay. <laughs> EastEnders did a bunch of shows at the Eureka Oh, right, Theater. yeah, they used to do that stuff there all the time. Exactly. And also 40, 42nd Street Moon. Have you ever yeah. checked out those guys? I've not checked them out. I'm yeah. hoping I can. I can, hoping I can join them on the stage sometime soon. Yeah. And uh, is that it? We're going to wrap it up. I think that's that's what we got. This so I'm not going to see you again until what? Not, not next week, but the week after next, or the week after. Uh, after next? No, the week after next, because uh, next week I'll be in Chicago. Yep. And then I'll come back, so I'll get back right before the fourth. Awesome. So that we we can talk about, you know, if everything blew up. <laughs> oh, I will I'll give that the other shout out, of course, is to the Warriors. That's right. Um, because one of the gorgeous things about living in Oakland uh -huh. is I, there are a few times a year where you go, oh, I hear pop, 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 pop. Oh, wow. You know, it's uh, Chinese New Year's yeah. or it's Fourth of July or the Warriors must have won. <laughs> and that's what happened this time. I was on my way home and my yeah. wife called me and I heard pop, pop, pop in the background. She said, oh, I think the Warriors must have won. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in that era now leading up to the fourth. We will just. Yeah. And, and there are some incredible fireworks shows. They call them illegal. I guess they're <laughs> illegal. But in my neighborhood, <coughs> stuff gets up in the sky and you're like, wow, mm -hmm. that's that's just like going to a real show. <laughs> Exactly, and I think that there's going to be a dynasty for Golden State, so we'll be looking oh, forward yeah. to this year after year. <laughs> so that'll be fun. So, um, so everyone, uh, that's it, and um, we got to get a better sign. Got to get a better sign.